0: Still in 1 Thessalonians, but fear not, we are coming to the end. And the last chapter of 1 Thessalonians has these pithy uh, statements, uh, just one after the next, uh, talking about what the church culture ought to be like. And uh, from verse 16, uh, Paul is thinking of our gathered worship. This is what the raison d'etre of the church is. The church isn't a club, a religious club, uh, that uh, does uh, gospel things in the community. Now, of course, we do those things, but the church, firstly and foremostly, is the gathered congregation, the gathered people of God, the called ones. We've been called out of the world to declare his praises. So before we do anything else, we are here to worship. And uh, what Paul is talking about from verse 16 to the end of the chapter is what should a service of worship look like? Somebody uh, called... These verses, the headings in a church service. We'll all have different views of what a church meeting should be like, but it has to contain these things. Now, of course, every one of these we can take as individuals as well. Uh, So, the one we're beginning to look at tonight, I don't think I'll finish it because I got five points. And we do want to give time for Andy and Nathan, especially if the meeting is going to be as long as the question and answer session. So let's see how far we get looking at the first exhortation, just two words, the start of verse 16, rejoice always. Or if you prefer the old version, rejoice always. It would be good to have this as our verse for the year, wouldn't it? In Philippians, which was written later than Thessalonians, Paul develops uh, these themes a bit more, and so he adds a bit more meat. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. It's not an option. We're to rejoice. There aren't times when we're not to rejoice, always. Now, before we uh, jump into the verse, I've got two quotations. I've been so blessed by Spurgeon's sermon on this verse. I've got a quote from him first. This is a sunny verse. It is, isn't it? It's a gloomy world. But in Penarth this afternoon, the sun came out. And this is a sunny precept. When we read it, we feel that the time of the singing of birds has come. Spring will be soon upon us. Happy people who are thus exhorted. We ought to rejoice that there is a command to rejoice. What a good God we've got. Glory be unto the God of happiness who bids his children be happy. And then the next quotation is from John Stotts, much, much uh, later. Uh, He went to be with the Lord a few years ago. Excellent commentary on 1 Thessalonians. I'm reading this, and you can take some of it metaphorically, but what he's saying is spot on. Many church services are unforgivably gloomy and boring, Although it's always appropriate to worship Almighty God with awe and humility, yet every service should also be a celebration, a joyful rehearsal of what God has done and given through Christ. So let there be organs, as we heard tonight, and trumpets and drums and singing. Now, even if you don't take that literally, the heart of rejoicing is surely there. God, have mercy upon us. If our church services are in any way gloomy, uh, we are commanded here to rejoice. And there's a connection, isn't there, between personal rejoicing and corporate rejoicing. Because we can't force a group of people like ourselves to rejoice unless we are personally rejoicing in the Lord. So, uh, please don't misunderstand me. I do not want to get rid of the pulpit. I do not want to have a drum kit there. What uh, God wants of us here is that our hearts personally are full of rejoicing. So that when we gather together then, if you have a few hundred people who are rejoicing in their hearts. Think of the effect that that has. Uh, So let's go uh, through a few of the points here as to rejoicing. I don't think we're very good at rejoicing. I'm not thinking of us in particular as a church. I'm thinking of our brand of Christianity as reformed evangelicals, we are slow when it comes to rejoicing. And I do believe, as Tozer has put it, that rejoicing or worship is the missing jewel in evangelical churches. We're good on the doctrine. Uh, We're good on the moral side. But when it comes to rejoicing, I think some of our brethren put us to shame. So let's look at biblical rejoicing. The first point that I've got is look at where this verse comes. What precedes it? My first point is rejoice in duties. Because Paul, before this, has been talking about us. Verse 12 Recognize those who labor among you. So I'm working. Andy and Nathan are working for the church. Others are working for the church. We're blessed with workers. Uh, We'll come to the service we do for the Lord in a moment. But then notice some of the things Paul says in verse 14. Warn those who are unruly. So we're to rejoice in the midst of our duties towards one another. Now, I used to be a schoolteacher and it's not easy having an unruly class, is it? It's very hard not to uh, slash back. And when we have Christians who are not walking the line, the temptation is to be angry. But Paul says... Rejoice. Rejoice. It doesn't mean that we don't deal with unruliness, but we deal with it in such a spirit that we're still rejoicing. And then look at what comes next. Uh, These are some of the duties, not just for the pastor and elders, but for all of us. I exhort you, brethren, uphold the weak, comfort the faint-hearted, those who are suffering from the sorrows of the mind. It's a horrible thing, depression, you know. In my first church, I visited somebody who was suffering terribly from depression, and it's important to listen. But when you've got somebody who is really going through it, it's so easy to be so overwhelmed by their depression that you are dragged down as well. So Paul is saying, rejoice even when you're trying to help those who are feeble of mind, who are weak. Uh, when When I visited the person with depression in my first church, I always made sure that I visited somebody who glowed for the Lord afterwards. Do you understand? We must watch our hearts as we seek to help one another. We don't want to drag ourselves down. And I'm not saying anything there against those who are struggling with depression. I know how it feels. And there is no shame in suffering from the sorrows of the mind. And then Paul talks about being patient with people, with all. Well, well, that's not easy, is it? To rejoice uh, when you have some people who are testing your long-suffering. But God commands you, he commands me, to rejoice in our duties towards one another. Do you know what's good about the church? We don't get to choose our brothers and sisters. You may have friends. Thank God for that. That's Uh, A lovely thing. But the church is more than a friendship group. We are a family and you don't get to choose your family. And we can rejoice in one another then because we are all in God's purpose doing one another good. Now this is Spurgeon again. You will find people seeking to hinder you. You will find people who give you grief. You will find people who slander you. You will find people who want to make use of you. But be not grieved. Put up with your poor fellow creature since the Lord puts up with you. Isn't that great? put up with one another because I don't know how much my Saviour puts up with me. We want to show the kindness of Christ to one another, don't we? And in that sense, we can rejoice. And so Spurgeon talks about this. Do not leave off rejoicing. You can rejoice in one another because we are Christ's. So we see something of Jesus Christ in one another. The more uh, Christ like we become, think of, I'm not recommending it, somebody staring at the sun. Don't do it. But if you do stare at the sun, try looking at people afterwards. They're, they're a blur, aren't they? Uh, because you've been so blinded by the light. And it's a bit like that. The closer we come to Jesus Christ, the more we have been overwhelmed by his glory. Instead of seeing the rough edges in one another, instead of seeing the things that cause us to differ, we see something of the light of Jesus Christ in one another. That's Christian fellowship. It's got nothing to do with similarities. Well, it has, but the one bond... Jesus Christ. So rejoice in your duties. Rejoice in doing your service for the Lord. Uh, I'm going off uh, 1 Corinthians 5 here, but I've already mentioned I'm laboring this evening, I'm preaching. Um, Elwyn Davis used to tell us about Arthur Pritchard. I'm sure Errol would have remembered T. Arthur Pritchard. And for years and years, Arthur Pritchard would be in dread before going into the pulpit because it was such an awesome task. But I remember Elwyn Davis telling us how Arthur Pritchard was delivered from that spirit of fear. And he got to the place where he enjoyed ministering the word of God you can rejoice preaching Nathan, Andy, others. It's an awesome task, but it's a privilege, isn't it? What what do you do for the Lord in the church? Uh, Standing at the door? What did the psalmist say? I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord. You know, the people at the door are the first point of contact that people visiting the church have. You don't want to be standing at the door giving the impression uh, that uh, uh, you don't want people to come in. If people see something of the joy of the Lord in you as you're standing at the door, then isn't that drawing men and women to the house of god i don't know if it's true or not but we've heard the accounts haven't we of a person who was trying to find a church in a town that they just moved to so what they did they drove around and they stood outside the church after the service to see the look on the faces of the people as they were coming out i don't know what you make of that I know we all have different personalities, some are more vivacious than others, but there's a point, isn't there? What about doing the refreshments? Aren't we supposed to be rejoicing in that? I remember one believer telling me they were in a Bible college somewhere, and even the way that the coffee was done showed something of Christ. Now, am I exaggerating? I don't think so. Brother Lawrence, the practice of the presence of God. When Jesus said, even if you give a cup of water to one of my brethren, you have done it to me. It's not so much what we do as a duty, it's how we do it. And even the word duty gives the wrong impression, doesn't it? Isn't it a delight? It's not a drudge. I know often we have to discipline ourselves, and that's important, as we're learning in the men's breakfast. But rejoice in your various duties. We used to have an offering in the service. Some would say it's biblical to have an offering in the service, uh, because we are told in Corinthians, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. It was as if giving was part of the service. I don't think I hold that view. Uh, That is, that giving is part of the service. I do hold the view that the Lord loves a cheerful giving. It's not the amount you give that matters. The widow's mites meant more to the Lord than all the money of the rich and the religious. Do you say grace before a meal? That's good practice, but it doesn't mean anything if you're not grateful for the food. I was challenged by what a believer said to me a few days ago. They said they left off saying grace and just started to be grateful for the food. I'm not saying I agree with that or disagree with it. I'm just saying there's something in that, isn't there? Are we grateful? ...for all the good gifts that God has given us. And we say thank you, Lord, for providing this food for us. So, that, that's the first points. I don't think we're going to get further than the second points. But the first point: rejoice in duties. And rejoice, not just what you do in church, but it's six days a week in the world... Re- rejoice, students. Rejoice in your work. Uh, rejoice in school. Re- rejoice that you're a child of God, even if you're the only one in a family or a school or a halls of residence. Rejoice in being a citizen of this country. Rejoice. In living in such a beautiful green city as Cardiff. Rejoice! That's what Paul is trying to get us to do. So if we're rejoicing in everything that we do during the week, what will Sundays be like then? When we're all gathered together to rejoice in God. There is a camaraderie when a group comes together. And um, If you go to a concert, there is... a uh, like a, a chemistry there. All those people are there, uh, and like the two friends that uh, Peter Harris invited uh, to Mahler second who didn't enjoy it, but usually in a concert, all the people there are there to enjoy the music. And there's a buzz. Think of how that's spiritually, with the Holy Spirit influence as well. ...can affect our gatherings on Sunday... ...if we are rejoicing during the week. Second point, this has a D in it as well. Rejoice in difficulties. Rejoice in difficulties. Uh, Look again at the context here. Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly... ...comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak... ...be patient with all... ...and then see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone... But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. And then immediately rejoice. So Paul has just been talking about people rendering evil for evil. In other words, treating others not with love and compassion and forgiveness, but having revenge on them. And Paul says, rejoice. Don't treat people like that, but rejoice. Rejoice. Now we know that this letter was written to a church that was beginning to suffer persecution. Uh, The young believers in Thessalonica, they were already uh, suffering uh, from uh, the rulers of the synagogue, Uh, the religious rulers of the city uh, were giving them grief, but now they were about to suffer persecution. We are not suffering persecution yet. But listen to Paul. He says, rejoice always, even in the midst of difficulties, even if it means being persecuted. And it's not just Paul that says that. It's a greater than Paul said in the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount's Blessed. You know the Beatitudes? What's the word blessed? Happy. Happy are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. What do we do then? What does Jesus say next? Do you know? Rejoice. And not just rejoice, but be exceeding glad. Well, well. That's rejoicing in difficulties, isn't it? For great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. So rejoice in difficulties. Now, I don't need to know every one of you that well to realize that we're all probably having some difficulty or another. It's our lot in this world. Do you believe in God being absolutely sovereign? That's what we're learning in Bible doctrines. It's one thing to know it in our heads. It's quite another for it to sink into our hearts and for us to live in the light of my father's incomplete control. So whatever's going to come across my path today, he is allowing and he has promised to work together all things for my good, even difficulties and pleasant things. So I'm going to rejoice. Uh, please don't misunderstand me here. By commanding us to rejoice, Paul isn't telling us to always be smiling. Now, um, some Christians, they give the impression that they must go to bed uh, with a toothbrush in their mouths to keep that smile. Now, this isn't what New Testament Christianity is about. We're not meant to be on the mountaintop spiritually all the time. Uh, There are uh, valleys, even the valley of the shadow of death, there are tears, there, there are uh, difficulties, there are persecutions, but we're to rejoice still in those things. We're not to go through them with a smile, but that's not the same as rejoicing. When, when Jesus said, Rejoice and be exceeding glad in the Sermon on the Mount, we, we don't have an English word for exceeding glad, apparently. Uh, the Greek, if I can get this right, is agaliasthe. Am I pronouncing that right, Nathan? You're studying Greek. yasthe. One word in the Greek. There's no one word for it in the English language. So one of the Puritans called Trap, he wrote a brilliant work on justification by faith. Trap, he punned the word agaliasthe to dance a I don't have a clue what that is, but dance a galliard. So, leap for joy, metaphorically, if you're going through difficulties. Um, think of Billy Bray. Whatever you said to Billy Bray, he would say, Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah! Uh, When the doctor saw Billy Bray at the end and had to break the bad news to him that he was about to die, what did Billy Bray say? Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. I'm going to be with my father soon. Something to that effect. So, whatever your circumstances, rejoice. In health. Are you healthy? Praise God if you're healthy this evening. Watch your secrets. Don't depend on your health. Depend on the Lord. But if you're sick, rejoice. Because your source of joy doesn't depend on how healthy you are. And I found from my limited experience that when you are laid aside, the Lord sometimes draws near. Sometimes... Alight, surprises. Are you in plenty at the moment? Definitely, let me know your secrets. Or are you in want? I think when Paul said I have learnt in whatsoever state I am to be content therein, I know how to abound, I know how to be abased, I think Paul is saying it's easier to be content when you're abased. When you've lost everything. Because when you don't have nothing, you have to depend on the Lord. But when you abound, it's so easy, isn't it, to get distracted from depending on the Lord. So you to rejoice whether you're abased, whether you're empty, or whether you're full. You see, it's the Lord who is the source of our rejoicing. And often, wealthy Christians have done the greatest good if they are rejoicing in the Lord in their wealth. And what about... In season, out of season. Paul said to Timothy, preach the word in season, out of season. Paul is saying, in effect, here, rejoice, always rejoice, in season. Oh, don't you want to be in season? It's not in season at the moment, is it, in the West? Not spiritually. We're out of season, definitely. But do you know what? We are still to rejoice when it's not a revival. What a privilege to serve the Lord in a time of spiritual dearth, because when there's great blessing, there are more people who claim to be Christians than really are. When it's a time of spiritual dearth, if you are standing up for Christ, it usually means you're real. Isn't that a reason to rejoice? And doesn't the fact that we are still standing, that I can see some of you, you're still shining for the Lord, doesn't that make it even more glorious against the discouraging background? And so even if only one soul is saved before I'm taken to glory, I will still rejoice. Or if a multitude Are suddenly brought into the kingdom, I will rejoice. But I don't think our rejoicing should be less if it's a time of dearth. Because God has put us here now. Do do, do you have that contentment in the Lord? Paul had to learn it. We've all had to learn it in the school of Christ. I am content. The rare jewel of Christian contentment. Uh, Lord, I'm content now, 2024, in the heath, in this corner of your vineyard. This is where you have put me. This is where he has put you. And so we are to serve the Lord to the best of our abilities, trusting in him, rejoicing in him, because you are indestructible until your time comes for him to call you home. So whatever I may be going through, whatever illness, whatever difficulties, uh, whatever situation, God wants you, wants me here now, and I'm rejoicing. Have, have you read um, Alexander Schaulchenitzin when when he was incarcerated? In the gulags in Siberia, he was a believer, wasn't he? He, in that situation, he knew the Lord drawing near. Uh, Read his book, The Life of Ivan Denosevich, where it refers to a believer uh, in his little cell, hiding his little Bible. Have you seen those little? Uh, new testaments that they had during the communist persecution and every uh, morning uh, going into the place in the wall where he would hide his little testaments and how he would feast upon the word of God and that cell wouldn't be a cell anymore it would be a palace even a Bethel a house of God rejoice when Paul wrote Philippians rejoice rejoice And again, I say rejoice. He was chained to two Roman soldiers. He could have very easily have given in to despondency. God had called him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. And where was he? He was incarcerated under house arrest. But you know what? He was rejoicing. Because without him, the word was still going in leaps and bounds. There should be no limit to our rejoicing. Uh, Habakkuk put it well, didn't he? Uh, as I come to a conclusion, I'm only going to go up to the second point. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruits beyond the vine, and the fruits of the olive fail, and the fields yield no crop, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. That's out of season, isn't it? What did Habakkuk say? We're doomed. Not at all. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy. He takes himself in hand. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. What a God. Whatever our condition, we can rejoice in him. Because Jesus doeth all things well. And when we have to face what a number have had to go through recently in our church, the valley of the shadow of death. And for some, death is not pleasant. It's not a Hollywood deathbed. It's the last enemy for a reason. But you can still rejoice because You're going home. You know, going home. uh, Did you ever, did some of you go to boarding school? Uh, I didn't go to boarding school, but my parents wanted me and my sister to have Welsh-speaking education. So even though we lived in Chepstow, we had to travel an hour and a half from Chepstow to Bargoyd in the morning and an hour and a half from Bargoyd back to Chepstow in the evening. And I didn't enjoy school but going home in the evening. How I look forward to that, going home, even though it was an hour and a half's journey. And my friends, we're going home. We're going upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Uh, May God help us as we look at these verses on rejoicing. Uh, Now let's sing together. When peace like a river attendeth my way, is that when everything is going well? Oh no, it's when sorrows like sea billows rove. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Is it well with your soul? If it is, brother, sister, rejoice. Number 766.